You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Hey everybody, welcome. Jamie and I are going to try and convert one another at this point. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Jamie, Until the Randy, contrary to the title of the of the podcast, you'll never believe this, but we're going to make you believe this today. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll never believe this is sort of a, a sign of the end of the episode, us not, <laughs> not, not believing one another at all. But uh, we'll see how this goes. It's no hold barred. Uh, we've been training for months I've been eating nothing but raw eggs. And, and I've had uh, knishes the whole week. It's, it's going to be great. Running upstairs in Philadelphia like, like Rocky did. Eating knishes. Yeah, that's the Jewish version. Um, I've, been, I've, been, I've been forcing Jesus into communion crackers. All right, Ooh, here we go. That sounds tasty. So Christianity. Here's what, here's, here is the core of Christianity, Jamie, that I want to tell you about. Ready. The crux of all Christianity lies in Jesus. And oftentimes people in most religions have an end goal in mind, right? Something mm -hmm. that begins, something that, that um, uh, is an end point, right? Okay. And so um, a lot of people look at Christianity and they see Jesus and dying on the cross is the end. But for us, the cross is the starting point. And we believe that... Um, the cross is the end for sin and death uh, and all those things that were the, the, the hurdles we could never overcome on our own. That was the end for those things, not for us. So death isn't the end for us. It's the end for sin, for death itself, for all those things that um, other religions often find themselves following laws for or paying for or uh, being obedient for those things were done. You never have to do those things again. We're freed from that because Jesus died for us once and for all on the cross and the cross, Jesus death becomes a new beginning for us because we're free to live differently because we no longer have to worry about being fully obedient, following laws, specifically feeling guilty, paying for sin, all that kind of stuff. Jesus uh -oh. did for us. I think we're going to be on opposite spectrums on this one. And when it comes to the guilt factor, at least, but let me, let me just uh, question the death of death. Cause we have that. That's, we have that as well. We just, we don't believe it's happened yet. You believe that it's happened already. Is that what I'm getting from this? Yeah. So Jesus was fully God and the, the basically believe that the payment for our life apart from God is um, death is, is that we, that our lives here on earth end. And so our payment for sin is death. And Jesus came as God to be that sacrifice, that payment that to atone for our sins, Jesus died. And so therefore we don't have to, that payment was made for us. That's what we call grace. It's a free gift from God to pay for us. Ah. You know, it's like, you're trying to get into an amusement park and uh, the guy in front of you just so happened to pay for you. Oh, nice. I was going to say, does it mean you're tall enough for the ride or is it different? That's a different thing. That's a different thing. Yeah. That's, that's a different thing. Okay. So wait, but, but you, do you believe that there will be a day that death no longer exists for any of us? Meaning like no one will die anymore? Or is that not, is that not part of the future 
messianic second coming kind of a thing. No one will die anymore. Everyone will die in some form. I think there there'll be there will be an end time for all reality as we know it, but it will be when we're embraced in eternal life. So there's a there's uh-huh. a whole new reality. Because we have it. we have a whole the, our whole thing is in a similar way. We believe in this thing called mechaye uh, metim, which means that the the death will rise again. So it's sort of the same idea that we will have all of us together again. And uh, it's actually the death of death. That's what I would include me into it. The death of death, meaning no one will die anymore. There'll be no more bad. It'll be blissful. It'll be wonderful. And that mm-hmm. is the coming of Mashiach or the or the the Messiah that we're waiting for. So at, at that point, we no one will die. And then my kids always ask these great questions. They say, so when everyone comes back from, from being dead, when, when the Messiah comes, are they going to look the same? Or are they going to look what they look like when they were younger, or when they were older, or like, like zombie comebacks? Yeah. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> zombies come up a lot when we talk about this stuff. So, um, so my question, my conversion pitch is: if everything you needed to uh, to give to God has been done for you through Jesus, you should you should be a Jesus follower. You should be a Christian. Because everything's this done is, for you. You no longer have to do most of what you're doing. Oh, you mean I'm, I'm not going to have to, I can like start eating bacon cheeseburgers or something oh, like that? Every Friday. Every Friday, not you on can, Lent. You can even turn the lights on on Saturday if you want. Oh, and off. Oh man, both. Can I do both? Not so the vibrator, uh, but the rest of it, yeah. Nice. Well played. Well played. Um, going back to like one of the first episodes. Um, <laughs> so uh, shout out. All right. So let me, you, that was a good start. I'll give you that. You, you got off to a good start. I'm going to start. I'm going to push back a little bit and tell you what, what you're missing. If we, on had, this. if we had sound effects right after I dropped that question, it would be all the people in the background going, Oh, <laughs> high fives. <laughs> I like a whole bunch of people with tape in the middle of their glasses and pocket protectors going, get them. So, um, pocket protectors. Well, I think, I don't know if this has been like, you know, the, like the street battle that I would have imagined, like people would be so excited for, but anyway, so I'll give you, here's, here's a good pitch for you. Ready? You talked about guilt. So, you know, the nice thing about being Jewish is it it comes with a Jewish mother. I don't know if you know that. Mm -hmm. And guilt is a major factor when it comes to Jewish life. It's a religious obligation for moms, isn't it? It's, it's a religious obligations for moms on their sons and daughters. This is true. Mm -hmm. Um, I want you to know that uh, we, we survived uh, so far, we're we're like the longest running crew. I mean, the Romans didn't make it, the Greeks didn't make it, Jews were still doing it. So that that's a plus. I mean, we've got a good track record. Um, have you ever have you ever heard of Yiddish stories? Have you ever heard a Yiddish story, Ralph? You're not doing well at converting me, Jamie. This Hold on, you haven't heard the Yiddish story yet. How do you know? How do you know? I story, the- Who cares if I heard about it? <laughs> All right. One of our favorite, one of my favorite stories, I actually learned it when I was studying Hebrew at URI, believe it or not. Um, and it was in the the very basic first level Hebrew book. And so you, you'll definitely understand it. If I could understand it in Hebrew, when I was new and no Hebrew, you'll get it. So basically the story is this, uh, there's a guy who's very poor. He lives in a, um, like a one room shack with his entire family and he has eight children, nine children, you know, lots of children. And it's very crowded and he can't really handle it anymore. And he goes to the rabbi and he says, rabbi, you have to help me. What am I supposed to do? It's just too crowded. Can you help me? And the rabbi says, do you have a chicken? And he says, yeah, yeah, I'm a farmer. I have a chicken. He says, bring the chicken into the house. So he brings the chicken in the house. 
He comes back to the rabbi a week later. He says, Rabbi, it, it's even worse. Now there's not only nine children and, and the two of us, but there's a chicken running around. And he says, what, what, what's going on here? And he says, do you have a cow? The rabbi says, and he says, well, yeah, I've got a cow. He says, bring the cow to the house. He goes back. It's even more crowded. Comes back a week later. says, Rabbi, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And he says, do you have a horse? He says, yeah, I have a horse. Of course I have a horse. He says, bring the horse into the house. He goes back. He brings the horse to the house. It's horrible. The, the animals are flying around, jumping on each other. Everyone's stepping on each other. It's horrible. He comes back to the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, I don't understand what you're trying to do here. And he says, take all the animals out of the house. Farmer goes home, takes all the animals out of his house. He comes back the week later and he says, Rabbi, you solved, you solved my problem. And the, point, the moral of the story is, and this is why you should be Jewish, it could always be worse. That's our motto. It could always be worse. It could always be worse. That's the reason you, that's, that's, that's the motivating factor. This is, Jewish. that's it. It could You're always trying to sell something. Be it's like worse. selling a car and saying, well, it could be worse. I actually once went to buy a car and the guy actually said, I, I, it was like a, the, the year previous model. And he says, and this is basically how I'm selling Judaism. I can't believe this is how I'm selling it. But he goes, he goes, uh, the beauty about, I said, you're going to like do a full workup on this car make sure it's all maintained and everything's okay and get like a full tune up on it. And he goes, the beauty about buying this car is when you buy it, you can take it to any mechanic you want when you own it. And I was like, wait, that's your pitch. I can take it to any mechanic I want. Like that's the basic Judaism pitch I just gave you. That's like the um, sales pitch I give for um, when we're trying to recruit uh, talent staff to our church. We're outside of Sacramento and they say, so what's, what's so great about the area? I say, we're close to everything. You can get to the mountains in an hour. You can get to the ocean in an hour. They're like, well, what about the area? And it's like, yeah, the area is great because it's close to, uh, well, it's it's like as good as whatever it is around it almost almost well, that, that's 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 my first pitch you got another pitch for me because I, I mean i liked your start but you got it we got to go round for round here you got another something for me here so i mean what if it could be better i mean what if there is a sense that you know you're you're saying it could be worse uh, in christianity it could be better because the motivating factor isn't you know uh, do these things, you know, the selling point isn't do these, do follow these laws and, uh, God will love you. Right. Mm. It's God loves you so much and did everything for you so that, you know, your whole life is meant to be lived in gratitude. So everything gets better from there. Right. If, if you're, if you're, if your response is, uh, it could be worse. Um, it could be better. God frees you from all those, all that kind of crowd, um, gives you the liberation from sin, from death, uh, gives you a new life to live because you don't have to worry about all these other things. So our lives are meant to be lived in gratitude. And just like if your mother or a, a rich benefactor gave you this immense gift, you would want to be thankful by using that gift appropriately by asking, you know, well, how, how can I be thankful? And all that, that benefactor says is I want you to live a great, live a faithful life. And for us, that means, you know, we serve other people. We try and learn how to live the way Jesus does with forgiveness and compassion and, you know, grace. And so it's not, you have to be forgiving and you have to follow laws to earn those things. It's you are given those things. So you want to be, you're inspired and motivated to be forgiving, graceful, and compassionate. Would you rather be, um, feel 
feel a sense of guilt to do those things? Or would you rather feel a sense of gratitude to do those things? I know that, listen, the gratitude piece is very good. I hear you in that department. Um, Obligation. I think that that's the funny part about Judaism. Obligation is sort of the sole, I don't want to say motivating, but it is, it is part and parcel with everything that we do, right? An obligation to act, an obligation to do, an obligation, the service is there. So we do, you know, we're obligated to serve, to give, to donate, to tzedakah. But um, one of the things I actually love is that there's a major difference between, um, and I'm not arguing obviously towards you necessarily in this, but a difference between what I see as American culture, and you'll tell me how much this relates to your religious culture um, and uh, what Judaism believes. That being, when you learn uh, and sort of live your life in America, and I think it's probably that way with you know uh, uh, non-religious Israelis as well. A lot of what we talk about is about rights. You know, do I have a right to build uh, a fence between my neighbor and myself? Right? Do I have a? How much right do I have on this piece of land? Does my land extend a hundred? Uh, yards or is it 105 yards? Like how, where can I build a fence? Can't I build a fence? Right. So in a lot of the texts that we study, um, we look, you'll sort of see in the discussions about how people relate to each other. It's actually not at all about rights. It's actually about responsibilities. And so um, when I talk to about like two neighbors living next to each other, and then the one neighbor wants to build a fence between the two plots of land the neighbor who doesn't even want the fence, right? Does you know, in, in a normal circumstance, you could say, I don't want you to build a fence there because you're blocking my view, right? That's, you don't have a right to build that fence. In Judaism, we say, no, it's the opposite. Not only does that person have a right to build the fence for sakes of privacy, whatever it be, the person who doesn't even want the fence has to pay for half. Mm-hmm. And, so in, it, and so in that, we sort of build our entire sort of, stratosphere and, and lattice work of our, of our relationship with other people built, built on that, built on responsibility to your fellow person. And in so that- do you think in that reference that there are many folks, there are, are, are a, do you think there's a good deal of the Jew, of Jews who are offering kind of a blind sacrifice, one that's sort of just, I'm just being obedient, right? I'm just following that law. Or do you think like yourself and your family, there's a lot of them that are doing it, at, you know, motivated to follow God. Where do you think the, do you think it's, there are a lot of people doing the, doing it blindly? I bet you, I, you listen, I would say that, that within, within any religion, you're going to see a certain percentage going both ways. But um, I, I think a lot of the people who I interact with um, probably came to religion later in life and you had to make some sort of active choice, right? You had to be motivated for, for in some way to, say, to take on all of this responsibility, even though you were always sort of responsible for it. You, you had to sort of say, well, one, um, I want to take on this lifestyle, but two, there has to be some meaning latent in there. You have to ha- find meaning within that. Otherwise, you're right. You're just sort of blindly doing it for no particular reason. Um, uh, can I tell you an interesting convert story that I love? That just, you know, because I'm trying to convert you. Yeah. And then I'm going to slam you hard. All right. I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for that. All right. So one of the most famous stories, uh, there are lots of famous stories throughout the, the Talmud. Um, and between the, the two major houses at the time was the house of Hillel and Shammai. And uh, Hillel was always known to be very giving, 
uh, open, warm, uh, welcoming. And Shammai was the opposite, right? And Shammai always gave those who came to him the hard answers and the hard truths. Um, and this con- this person wanted to convert, and the first and the person comes and says, "There's two different examples. The first one comes to Shammai, and he says, um, "I want to to convert, but I don't want to follow anything that the rabbis say. I only want to follow what the Torah says." And we talked a little bit about that, whether or not you can follow just what the Torah says, or you need to follow also what the rabbis say and the interpretations that the rabbis had. Um, so immediately Shammai hears that and, and basically beats him with a brick. <laughs> that was his response. There was no way that he was going to convert him. And then the, the, the person then leaves Shammai and goes to Hillel and says, same thing. I want to convert, but I only want to follow the Torah and I don't want to follow anything that the rabbis have to say. So the first day Hillel says, fine, I'll do it. And he converts him and he teaches him the the letters of the alphabet. And he goes from the way that we have it, A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. Okay. It's actually Aleph to Tav are the letters. And the second day, the person comes back to to Hillel and Hillel starts from Z and goes back to A. And that's how he tells him the, the, the alphabet is organized backwards. And the person says, wait a minute, that's not what you said. You said it was A to Z, not Z to A. And he says, well, see, now you understand if you're going to try to just learn the Torah, you have to rely on what the rabbis say. Otherwise it'll all be backwards for you and everything will be switched around. So that was the first story about a convert. The second story, and it'll be brief because I like There's this more? one. The best. There's more. I know you're loving it. The, the second one, it's not working for you. Hold on. I'm, but you don't have heard the second very one. I'm comfortable in my Christianity at this point. <laughs> the second story, um, <laughs> which is going to shake. I think this is going to shake you to your core. The, a different convert, a person wants to convert and comes to Hillel and says, Teach me the entire Torah standing on one foot. First, he goes to Shammai and Shammai beats him with a brick. That's, the, that's basically what Shammai does to anybody who wants to convert. And you should know, we turn converts away three times before we allow them to convert. So you're getting a special deal here where you get to be, you know, attempted to be converted. This doesn't usually happen. So then the good person goes from being beaten with a brick, goes to Hillel and says, teach me the whole Torah on one foot. That's the only way I'm going to convert. Hillel says, I'll convert you. And he says, the whole Torah is this. That which is hateful to do you, do not do unto your neighbor. The rest is interpretation. Now go and learn. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard before? Interpretation is to go and learn? No. Treat your neighbor as you want to be treated yourself. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's the uh, Mark 12, 33. Right. Who do you think said it first, buddy? Some rabbi. Oh, it would be Hillel. That would be the rabbi you're looking for. So... I'm just saying we have a little bit of clout in the game and Hillel had a good teaching. And I think some people liked it and think some people ran a little bit in a different direction, but the, the, the OGs are here. We're right here. Definitely. Hillel definitely started with some good stuff. The old Testament. So definitely some amazing stuff, but Jesus was the culmination of everything that the Jewish people and the prophets were pointing to is wrapped up in Jesus. And so he used consistently used scripture uh, from the Torah to point to, you know, God's reign and really helping to understand that on a deeper level. I'll even use some of your uh, scriptures to point to uh, the fact that uh, blind obedience is not what God desires. So in Hosea 6.6, 6, so a lot of it comes from the prophets. Hosea 6.6, 6, I, dev- I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than simple burnt offerings. So if burnt offer, if people are, I mean, I think there's something about the beauty of what 
uh, of the law for Jews in it brings a contrite, it, you know, the goal is not to just bring the burnt offering and walk away. It's to have a contrite heart and to have a, 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 a relationship that comes after the responsibility. But what some of these scriptures saying is the goal is steadfast love. And if you're missing that, you're missing out on the point of the, the burnt offerings. Psalm 51, David says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased, God, with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Proverbs 21, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Amos 5, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, um, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos means that God's not looking for all... That was all Martin these- Luther King. What's it? He was quoting Martin Luther King? That's crazy. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. Amos quote. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I mean, that's why we have a day for him and not for Amos, right? <laughs> that's but, right. Um, he's saying you could take away all those laws if they're not bringing you to a life that's filled with being righteous uh, offering justice to people around you. So there's a bunch of Old Testament scriptures there. I can go on. There's Micah, there's Ecclesiastes, there's Isaiah. But then Jesus, like you said, wraps it up and says, there is but one law to love God with your whole heart and all understanding and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus says, is much more than all the burnt offerings, than all the law essentially and sacrifice could bring is the love that that right. is sort of the the goal, the 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 product. And if that's not the product, if that if people are following all these laws and not producing love and not producing righteousness and justice in their lives, they're missing out on you know kind of why the law was put into place, why why Judaism is you know in essence it's a beautiful religion, but it's incomplete for a lot of people because they're being converted by responsibility and not to converted to a relationship with God. So let me ask you a question. Can I ask you a question on that? Cause that was great. I think that was great. And I think we'll, I think, I think we'll all agree that you did a great job quoting. Let me ask you a question. How do you show your love for God? In a lot of those things in doing the things that Jesus did and offering forgiveness, compassion, righteousness, justice, service, right. by also following How do you, worship great. You, worship those are all, prayer. those are all great things. Do you have something sort of outlined for you that shows you like, okay, here's my daily way of doing X, Y, and Z that you just said? Because we, the Jews, we are, are we, you know, you know how God created, do you know how God created? You mean like in Genesis? Yeah, Genesis, that's the place. The the poem? Yeah, that one. How did God create? Do you know? We don't actually know how God created, but there uh, are some good poems believe, in Genesis 1 and 2. No, 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 no. People. We believe God created through word. And by that, we mean by action. Okay? So I what I love about Judaism is that I have a list of actions, of ways that I can daily show God that I love God. How's that? Praying giving charity, doing all the things that you're talking about. But I have a structured day that says, you want to show me the love that you have for me, God? This is God speaking. See, I always say that for God. If you want to show me that you love me, you have to do something. I need a structured way to know how to show God that I love him. Not these ethereal, big, up in the pie in the sky, love, you know, uh, sacrifice. No, 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 no. 
what are you going to do? Where does the where does the tire meet the road? So for you, where does the tire meet the road? What do you do on a daily basis? Give me your outline day because I can tell you mine. I mean, we weren't asked to uh, follow a specific system of laws by God, but it was more, I, and I think it was probably more the rabbis who, you know, the interpretation of your Torah and Levitical codes that really bring about all those rules. I think there's some are literal, some are, like you said, you know, the rabbis have interpreted. And so for us, the there is not a literal, um, there's not a checklist of, yep, did that. So God knows I love him. Yep, did that today. There's not a, a bare minimum of 30 minutes of prayer. There is a sense of God wanting our love and our hearts because that's what God gave to right. us. And, and you know what? We have the same thing in, in the Shema, in our, in our credo. It says, love your God with all your heart and all your might. But we believe that to be something that's, that's action-based, right? That God can see that I love God, that God can see that I'm living my life in a way that not only does God want, but that, oh, I see that, that right now Jamie loves me because he got up and he prayed this morning when he could have slept until 11. We're saying the same thing, that there are actions ah, to express your, your love for God. There are definitely actions to express that, but there's also an inner life. And you're saying that those actions... Ah can be qualified in a checklist. I'm saying that some of that really, you know, that relationship, you, you know, you can't go to your wife, you know, if, if God's looking for relationship more than responsibility, it's sort of like a marriage. You can't go to your wife and say, I bought you flowers today. I cleaned the dishes today and I made the bed. So, you know, I love you. There's no checklist. If you brought your wife flowers and she said, this, these are lovely. Thank you so much. Why did you bring them? And you say, because I had to, they were on the list. They oh, no, 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 no. See, as, I, that action but, would but be, would you be and I missing agree. the point of the experience. I understand. But you're saying, you're, what you're saying, and we would all agree, is that if you do the action with nothing inside, then it's empty. Absolutely. But guess what? If I was supposed to meet my wife for a date and I don't show up, and then I say, well, you know that I love you, she would understand, no. You don't really love me because you didn't show up. You got to show up. You got to do the things that you're supposed to do. That's how you also show somebody that you love them, right? It's it, you have to feel it. You have to say it. You have to write, but you have to, you, you don't, you don't come and say, oh, I, you know that I love you because here's a checklist of why I love you. But at the same time, if you don't do the things that show that the person that you love them, whether it be affectionate kisses, hugs, anything, right? Telling them that you love them. If you just sort of sit there and say, but you know it because I think it inside my heart, uh, I'm not sure that works on a on a day-to-day -day basis. I didn't say it was just inside the heart. We, we both agree that there are actions involved. You're saying that those actions are on a list. And I'm saying that there are things that are marks of that relationship, but everybody has some sense of, you know, of, of uh, uniqueness and how they're honoring that. There's like, you know, within, so yeah, it says to pray. For us, it doesn't say pray three times a day for 30 minutes, these exact words. Um, you know, there are you know, various ways to pray, and it's hopefully giving people a sense of this is a unique personal relationship and not millions of people for all of time have to do the same thing. It's, well, this is how I'm going to show my love for God by praying in a way that's meaningful to both me and to God at the same time. So there's more there's less of a specific list and code that looks like a checklist. 
and more of a relational way to honor God. So there's bigger categories that we want to be a part of worship, service, giving, uh, growing, uh, connecting with people that don't have those very specific parameters. Right. And I, and I would say at the same time, all those things sound beautiful, but if it's so personal, you lose something that we gain, which is we have something where I think I've spoken about this before, where you, I can go to, I can visit France, right? And I can go to the Jewish community in France and I don't speak French, but I can sit down and I can pray with them because we all say the same thing, right? And there's a power in numbers and a power of uh, uh, people sort of working towards the same goal and doing the same sorts of things. There's this sort of unity that comes from it. There's a, a shared connection that comes from it. So yeah, you might lose some things because you don't have the, the personal, you know, what you're talking about. But at the same time on the flip, I can connect with people on a totally different level, even though I can't speak with them, I can sit down and pray with them because they are saying the exact things that I'm saying every day. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's power in numbers. So when you say power in numbers, um, the global Jewish population is about 14 million. The global Christian is 2.4 billion with a capital <laughs> B. Uh, okay, so and, and and you're just now we're just going to go on sheer numbers. Okay, so look, you definitely there's definitely I'm just using I'm just using your logic against you. If that's out of if your logic isn't appropriate, just let me know and I won't use your logic. I, I, you listen, you know you've got I a just, lot of. Nerve. I just found the power in the number, and it seems power may might be a a, a higher number. Uh, and and two about two point four billion is a little bit higher than fourteen point. I think fourteen point seven is like a. A small fraction, actually, of two point four, like ten percent, maybe not even. But I don't know. I, I don't know if if we can't use power in numbers, like you're saying, just let me know, and I won't use what you're saying. All right, all right. So you've got a numbers game that you're playing. I see where you're going, but let's go here. When you came home and you said to your parents, uh, "Listen, I really want to watch this TV show," and your parents say, "You know what? That that show is not appropriate for you." And then and then you said, "But but Billy does." Do you remember what the response always was? Billy jumped off a bridge. That's a bridge. right. Which just just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It might be the you know all the cool kids are doing it, but do I need to do it? No, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's going to be the sole delivery that you want me. I'm not, I'm not going to do it just because there's a lot of people doing it. Just because there's a lot of people doing it means there's just a lot of people doing it. Are you using your logic against yourself now? I'm not sure where I am right now, but let me know if you find me. All right, I'm going to tell you another story. You ready for another story? You're at Billy's (laughs) house watching an inappropriate television show. And I'm not going to tell my parents, that's for sure. Just to avoid accepting Jesus into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, you're going to Billy's house and watching Beverly Hills 90210. Ooh, that was your example. I was was hoping you were going with Beverly Hills cop or something. I don't know. Could be. I mean, I feel like, in, I don't know, I was, I was thinking you're more like eight years old if you're still calling your buddy Billy, you know, because nice. by the time oh. you're old, you know, by the time you're old enough to want to watch Beverly Hills Cop, you're probably in high school when Billy wanted to be called Bill. Oh, well, I'll ask him. Just because everybody's calling him Bill doesn't mean I have to call him Bill. Now, is I mean, Billy I, Jewish I too? Is he? Of course, Billy's Jewish. Billy doesn't sound like a Jewish name. What's his last name? I, I, if you want to really know something a, funny that I literally Stein, two days ago, it? I literally two days ago did a bris for a guy, uh, baby and they named the baby 
um, oh, I forget the first name, but his middle name is William. And I was like, that is, that's not the normal, but you know what? There are Jews out there named William. And there's, I just met him the other day. He's doing fine. I think they're, I think they're diversifying. They don't, they're diversifying. I think they're, they're, they're like you. They're hiding at their friends' houses, watching inappropriate shows because they are afraid that they're starting to believe what Ralph's saying about Christianity and they may change and uh, they want to be a little more diversified in who their kids are. They don't want to be Seth Harvenstein. They want to be William Burley. Ooh. Oh, oh, Burley. Should it be William Oberly. I feel like it needs an O in front of it. I don't know. I just looked at the first the first word that was on my screen that looked like a last name. It was Burley. Nice. All right. I don't know. I think I think we better we better hold it for this one. What do you think? I think we've got some work done. Let's I think let the listeners decide who oh. won. Let's uh, you know and feel free to score it as far as uh, round and uh, creativity. Yes. Confidence. We're gonna put it in. The, we're definitely in the comments below. I want to hear some responses from people. Yeah. I, I know mean, my you, Jewish brother and out there, they're going to, they're going to come to my, they're going to support me on this one. Yeah. They'll, they'll all agree that you definitely won in the bullshit category. I, <laughs> I think uh, that'd be good. Exit on the bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the Jews. <laughs> the bull is, the bull is actually a split calf for them. <laughs> nice. It's uh now you gotta you can get a good look at a bull by sticking your head up there, but you should take the butcher's word for it. Uh, one of my favorite quotes. You remember that one? Good, uh, Patch Adams. No, Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy. No, it's Patch Adams when he's at the when he's at the meat packers plant. No, it's when he keeps saying the wrong thing. He keeps trying to quote his father, and he keeps saying, "You can get a good look at a T-bone by sticking your head up there." But wouldn't you tell, well, just really take the butcher's word for it? All right, we'll also get scored on who was right as far as the quote. Oh, this is an easy one. For now, thanks for listening, everybody. Round two coming at you a little later. Keep listening. Thanks so much. Hey, always a good time, guys. We'll talk to you next time.